Welcome to Practice Life, the podcast devoted to the important non-clinical issues affecting the daily practice of equine veterinary medicine. Practice Life is brought to you by the American Association of Equine Practitioners. And I'm Mike Pannell, a practice owner and veterinarian, and a longtime EAP member and your host. Beringer Ingelheim's equine health solutions don't just come in the form of medicine. From our vaccine and EGUS assurance programs to our equine practice enrichment program, we offer a wide range of services dedicated to helping individual veterinarians and entire practices succeed in their business environment. To learn more about all the services we offer, contact one of our expert team members by visiting bi-vetmedica.com company contact. Hi, I'm Mike Pannell, and welcome to another episode of AAP Practice Life. And today, we're going to talk about a subject that's very dear to my heart, and that is marketing, marketing the equine veterinary practice. You know, some people may be asking, why are we worried about marketing right now? We're all so busy. We have more work than we can handle. But I think marketing is not just trying to grow your business, but also considering growing segments of your business or introducing new services or new vets or new anything. So I have asked some pretty interesting people to join me. Uh, First off, I want to welcome Dr. Karen Bolton from uh, South Carolina. Karen, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And then I have Kelly Graber from Beringer Engelheim, who is a sponsor of the podcast, but I thought we should reach out to them to get an industry point of view. And Kelly is the Associate Director of Equine Marketing. So welcome, Kelly. Thanks for having me. And then finally, I have somebody that I've worked with for many years, but Heather McPherson of McKee Panel Equine Services. And Heather's role is nothing but marketing at uh, McKee Panel. So I thought she'd have some great insights too. So welcome, Heather. Thank you for the invite. So let's just go around. We'll start with you, Karen, and we'll go in the same order, just maybe a brief introduction, your background, and a little bit about your marketing experience. So tell us about it, Karen. Uh, My name's Karen Bolton. So I was a equine practitioner for about a decade, and for eight years of that, I owned the practice. And I was, as a solo owner, you do a lot of the stuff yourself. So I did all the marketing myself. When I owned it, we started out with uh, Facebook. So I really got into Facebook. I've more switched over to Instagram now as my native platform. But right now I'm finishing up an MBA and I'm really focusing on on the business side of things now. And I really like marketing strategy and business strategy. Great. Thanks. And Kelly, tell us about yourself. Uh, My name's Kelly Graber and I have been in the equine industry really my whole career. I started out in 2003 as part of a team of five launching a new equine nutrition company, actually. And so in doing so, really participated in all aspects of of marketing with getting that company off the ground. And then in 2013, we were purchased by Cargill. And at that point, I moved into a kind of a subject matter expert position for the strategic marketing and technology team, really more about marketing strategy versus the actual execution. And then in 2017 is when I moved to BI in equine marketing, and I'm managing both the gastric health and joint health portfolios here at Beringer Ingelheim, which includes about seven brands today. And uh, marketing at BI encompasses a whole lot more uh, things than I've ever done before. So it's been interesting. Interesting. I'm looking forward to your perspective from industry. And finally, Heather, tell us about yourself. Hi, my name is Heather McPherson. 
I've been the marketing manager at McKee Panel Equine Services for about a decade now. Uh, however, I've been with the practice in some shape or form since 2008. I have a bachelor's degree in marketing and a lifelong background in horses. So marketing means different things to different people. So I thought let's start uh, with us sort of going around and let's get to a definition of what marketing is so everybody's on the same page. And perhaps Kelly, we can start with you, then go to Heather, then Karen, just just so everybody is listening to it because some people think of marketing as promotions, as advertising. So uh, when we're talking marketing, what are we really meeting, Kelly? You know, I think if you look at the just the definition of marketing per se, it's it's really about promoting and selling products and or services, including market research and advertising. Within BI, as I mentioned, there's a whole lot of other aspects to it with forecasting and supply and pricing of products and placement of product and management of the channel that the products go in and and certainly just brand planning and brand strategizing. So that that would be my take on it anyway. Sure. And there's one thing that you just brought up that I'll ask Heather about at some point uh, is market research, because that's something that we, we don't do a lot of in vet practice. So Heather, how would you define marketing or what does marketing look like in your world? Uh, I thought a lot about this, and I think to me, marketing is about understanding our clients and prospective clients, their views and their perspectives, and then connecting with them to help them solve their problems. That's sort of the viewpoint I take on it when we design our marketing strategies. It's sort of understanding what the client wants and delivering it. Where they're having problems and how to help them solve those problems. For sure, for sure. How about yourself, Karen? How do you define it? So I wanted to be super precise about this, so uh, I didn't mess it up with everyone else here. <laughs> but um, So I actually looked up what the AMA, which is the American Marketing Association, they're kind of the big association within the marketing field. But I looked up what their actual definition was, and they said marketing is the activity, the set of institutions, and the processes for creating, communicating, delivering, and exchanging offerings that have value. And I think for me, the part of that that stands out that maybe I wasn't so much thinking before I went to school was the value part. Mm-hmm. So it's not just selling what what you already have, but it's it's about increasing the value and understanding what the value to clients is. Yeah. So I think we're starting to see a, a bit of a, a, a theme there. And I'm, if I'm going to sort of combine everything from a little bit of a you know a common theme is really trying to identify, as Heather said, the pain points. Uh, Kelly said the research is, but it's really understanding what the client wants and what value we offer and communicating that to them. So they know that we have it. Is that a fair overall? Yeah, I think so. And part of that too is, you know, as, as somebody mentioned, just that client journey and we need to understand the journey of how they find the clinic and how they find the products and how they make those selections and I think by understanding that journey, we can find those leverage points where we can actually impact their buying decisions or their decisions on choosing a veterinarian or, or a service. So let's explore that a bit more because that's, you know, that's not a, a common phrase that we talk about, the customer journey. So in your world, Kelly, uh, what would be the customer journey? You know, it just depends if we're talking about, obviously, our customers primarily are going to be the veterinarians, but we do have some products that we tend to talk more to horse owners with. And so depending on the horse owner, are they the type of horse owner that automatically goes to the veterinarian for all of their information, 
and all of their recommendations? Or is it the type of customer that's kind of one of those do-it-yourselfers that'll go to the internet and look for information, potentially look for a clinic, um, look for a service? And so again, trying to understand which clients we're dealing with and trying to meet those clients where they go to source their information to help impact their decisions, if that helps at all. Absolutely. Uh, so Karen, I mean, with uh, what you're learning and what you've been doing, what does a customer journey look like for you? So I did not even understand customer journey was a thing back when I was practicing. And now I understand there's five different stages to it. And you can just look up the, there's very nice graphs for this, but the awareness stage is the very first one. And I think what I was doing in, in hindsight was I was only targeting clients there with, I guess, more of my social media efforts. But the reason why it's important to understand the customer journey and all the different stages, which is what I know now, is that you need to do different things to target the customers at each stage of the journey. So if I'm trying to actually make sales, I need to do different things versus just posting like cute pictures of baby horses. (laughs) You know, that's not actually driving someone to sell, whereas that's just driving some of the initial stages of the journey. But in terms of measuring your metrics and how things are working, you need to, to measure via different things at each of those stages. So I would encourage anyone to look up that journey and understand the different ways that you measure at each of those stages. Yeah, because I think one of the things that we, we never think about as veterinarians is that journey often starts before we even know the client. And that's where you said with the awareness. And then it's going all the way through to actually having the service. But then what happens afterwards? And I think marketing can also be as much as how well we present the bill to them or collect money from them. How, how's the experience after the medical procedure? And then will they come out of that going, that's what great service. I'm going to tell all my friends about it. Or, wow, I feel ripped off and nobody should know about this practice. So, so Heather, you've been doing this for 10 years plus. Why should practices market? Well, I think that it, I can only talk from our perspective of an equine practice, but I think that brand awareness to let people know that you're there, right? Whether you're a solo practitioner or a multi-vet practice, everyone in your geographic area needs to know you're there. I think to let people know about your brand purpose, let them know who you are and what you have to offer. The biggest thing for me is I find value in building a community and building trust in that community. I think that is the, with the digital platforms and everywhere that you can be online now, there's value in building that. And then also building that trust where, you know, for us, we try to be that safe space where you can go for accurate information if you are going online looking for help. And Karen, from your perspective, because I know you work with some practices, why should they be marketing? And most people would think, you know, in veterinarians, and maybe it's an old school way, well, it's, you know, if I'm going to market, we're sort of demeaning the profession and, you know, word of mouth is the best. So, you know, why should we be out there putting ourselves in front of uh, a prospective clientele? So word of mouth is is definitely right up there with uh, most effective versions of marketing, uh, just because the your prospective clients trust that more. There's definitely, there's statistics behind that saying word of mouth is is one of the best versus the things that we say to the client. But from my perspective, for why I would still go about marketing, uh, even if you know, you're too busy right now, which is a big one. So number one, you're building up your reputation. So that's more of a proactive thing. 
especially if you have a, a big problem, like, you know, these bullying episodes that are going on, building up your reputation and your brand in advance can help you a lot during those. But you also, uh, like what Heather said, you, messaging is very important. You want to not only educate them, but you want to make sure that they understand why you're different than, than the competition, make yourself stand out. But in terms of what's going on right now, there's so many people saying, like you said, why should I market now when I'm dying, <laughs> just too busy. And I really like target marketing a lot. And target marketing helps you identify the different groups of clients that you service. And every single one of us have groups that we would prefer to service more than others. And right now, if you go about with the target marketing process, you can start funneling down to just the clients that you want. So if you are inundated with too many clients, it'll help you focus on just the ones that you enjoy acting with, the ones that might be more profitable. That's why I would still go about it right now. Yeah, and I think what you know what we're talking about is client segmentation. And I think you know the best analogy is if you've got a broad practice and dressage riders are a lot different than thoroughbred trainers you might as well be talking about two different species, like it's crocodiles and lions. It's just such different animals and they have different wants and needs going back to the very beginning of what marketing is. And and Kelly, I'd love to get your perspective on this of why should practices market? Because as you said, you're reaching not just veterinarians with BI, but also the horse owner. And you've got such a a broad array of products that you're selling. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, Heather and Karen did a great job of, of really explaining why it's important for those practices to market. If I were to add anything to that, you know, as we mentioned earlier in the call where, you know, that research is part of this, I think in this day and age, not only to target those customers that you want, but also potentially to uncover any unmet needs in the area that you could fill that maybe somebody else isn't filling. And then just, again, really understanding the geography and the market better in order to either pivot and, and do things differently within your practice, adding services or taking services away, or maybe becoming a specialist in a certain area if there's a void you know, within your clientele base would be important, I would think. Yeah, I find that market research just untaps so much potential and helps us understand our clients so much more for sure. So. One of the questions I get and when I'm talking to equine veterinarians and practice owners is, well, I have my receptionist doing the marketing. She's 22 and she knows all that stuff. And so the question is, and Karen, I'll start with you, is who should be doing the marketing in a practice? Whether it's a one-person practice uh, or a five-vet practice, what's the thought between who does it? Not just necessarily the youngest, but who does it? Well, I I would say everyone does it and needs to do it. So sometimes your 22-year-old receptionist is much better at the social media uh, side of things. And I think a lot of times, a lot of practices might underestimate how helpful the younger generations are just because they're native to those platforms. But in terms of everyone marketing, I think that's also, like you said before, tend to shy away from the sales side of things. And that's a really important side of marketing. And sales, I would also say, is has a bad reputation. People think like a used car salesman, <laughs> and that's that's not what sales is supposed to be. So I think everyone needs to do it, and everyone needs to understand it better, especially the practice owner. So you can funnel it towards the person that you want to, want to do certain sides of things, but everyone needs to understand it. For sure. 
And I guess when we were talking about the customer journey, if you're a vet and you show up and your truck is filthy and you're open up your door or, your, or the back of your pickup or your SUV and there's things falling out, that doesn't leave a great impression. And you could have the best image online, but when the reality looks different, that really shows how everybody's part of marketing. Kelly, in your experience in, in, you know, in the equine world, who do you think should be doing the marketing in a practice? You know, I think it depends on the the practice, the size of the practice, you know, the the financial capabilities of the practice to either hire somebody externally or internally. And to Karen's point, I think everybody in the practice has a piece or a place in marketing. And maybe you do have somebody in the practice that's quite capable and and very understanding of the social media part. Maybe they you have a social media, you know, marketing manager that really understands that digital space. Websites are a whole nother deal website management, really good website management. Number one, you want to have something that drives clients to the website. And then you want to make sure that that website is updated and is constantly changing and and looks incredibly professional and works well. Because again, that could be very many, many times your first introduction to that client and they'll make a determination right away of how professional you are or really how good you are. And, and so I think it could really be several different people, depending on, you know, what you're looking at doing, whether it's website, whether it's social media, obviously, it has to be somebody who understands your local market. So if you do go external, it would have to be somebody that really understands your local market and geography and and the clients in your local geography well, whether they can learn that through research or what have you. But to me, that would be important. And then just somebody, I think, just with a basic understanding of you know, marketing principles, you know, you don't want somebody managing your social media that's going out in left field and, and, you know, saying things that are going to come back to haunt you. So I think just some basic, you know, marketing or media training for anybody that's communicating with your clients is something that would be very important. Yeah. Heather, what do you think about this subject? Like who should be doing this? Uh, I 100% agree with Karen and Kelly. It is a team effort. Everybody in the practice can bring value to it depending on their strengths. The vets bring different value than the technicians. In our situation, you know, we're a 14 doctor practice with an extensive support staff. And we found it works really well when key people work on individualized marketing projects. And then each of those projects support the overall strategy. So to me, I can bring perspective because I'm a horse owner and I have a marketing background and I'm relatively techy. So I can work with one of the vets who is a really good teacher and we moderate a private Facebook group together. And that's something that she can focus on and that's a strength for her and she enjoys it. And then we do that throughout the practice and that has been the best way for us anyways, as we know with the size of the team that we have, to basically capitalize on everybody's strengths and let everybody bring that value that they have. I would just say, uh, you know, from the perspective of a practice owner is, I think, you know, if you say, okay, you, person A, you're going to take care of social media and somebody else will take care of the website. I think the practice owner can't abdicate any responsibility of it. You know, there's a a recent example uh, near where I live where two of the technicians in a small animal practice posted some inappropriate things on TikTok. And the owner had no idea. And I mean, it was, it was, pretty bad. And and the two technicians were fired, rightfully so. What I've seen too often is people saying, 
well, they're, they know what they're doing. And, and I'm like, but, but do you have a plan? Like, what are you trying to achieve by this? Is the message consistent? And I think as a practice owners, you know, everything comes onto our shoulders eventually in terms of the responsibility. I think they still need to be in the loop at least. This Kelly, I would agree with that. And, you know, to that point, I think just making sure that anybody, you know, in the practice really understands what the mission and vision of the clinic is and what the overall strategy of the clinic is so that everybody's in the same boat rowing in the same direction and not going off on different tangents. Absolutely. So Karen, you mentioned already that your, your platform of choice is Instagram. So let's talk about that because the question I'd like to ask all of you are what, what platforms that are better suited for an equine practice. So Karen, let's start with your love of Instagram. (laughs) Yeah, I do. I do love Instagram and I used to like Facebook and I'm, I feel like I'm losing touch with Facebook. My main personal frustration is that your ability to reach your customers on Facebook has, has changed drastically since when I first started using it. But in terms of what platform a equine business should be using, it really depends on on your customers and their demographics. Realistically, Facebook is still still the biggest. My, like I said, my main problem is reaching the people once you obtain their following. Uh, Instagram definitely has better reach at this point, but I think if I was a practice owner, I would look at my customers and say, you know, once you do your target, your, um, develop your different target markets, I would want to know what age are they, what sex are they, what do they like to do, what are their pain points, which is uh, something that Kelly mentioned already. And then I would base what I do on that. So if you have an, an older population, like I'm in Myrtle Beach, it's a lot of older people here. So I would not do like TikTok, for instance, they're not going to be on there. But I I can't think of a pra- uh, equine practice that has like a lot of teens or something, but um, maybe if you do like pony club or something, you might want to do some more of the tic- TikTok side of things. But you need to look at, at each of those platforms and understand who's on there. Um, for instance, if you have a lot more uh, men in your practice, you might want to do uh, TikTok is actually bigger on men for men and LinkedIn is as well. But if I had to go back and do it right now, I would probably do more uh, Facebook and Instagram um, for me. And then also I think YouTube is underutilized and actually Pinterest can be used as well. It actually has very good reach. <laughs> so that's what I would do. How about yourself, Heather? What do you think? I agree with Karen on all of those fronts. I think the one thing that I've circled back to after all of the changes with Facebook and digital platforms is I think a really well-organized email list and a quality website is gold. You own those platforms, you can control those platforms, regardless of any changes that happen on Facebook or TikTok, you have a list that you own. And so that's where I've prioritized more this year is is circling back to those. And then uh, we've had a lot of success on Facebook and Instagram and YouTube for all different reasons. There's different demographics on each platform, and we have a really broad practice demographic. Uh, so we try not to put the same content everywhere, but we definitely have real estate on all of those platforms. And and then we've had a lot of success over the years with paid advertising with Facebook ads, Google ads, YouTube ads, mainly because there's very little competition there. So you know, when you're bidding for ad space, you're not going up against big companies necessarily. So you can affordably get some brand awareness that way. But I do think it's all practice dependent. 
Totally. And so just to clarify, and I think what Karen was getting at is that we don't have the reach that we used to of Facebook because when Facebook first started or even going back even seven, six, eight years ago, if you had a thousand people that liked your page, you could probably reach close to a thousand if you posted something. But really, Facebook is an advertising platform. So an organic post may only reach about 10% of the people unless you buy it. And then the more you pay, the more people that you're exposed to. So I think a lot of people are really proud that, oh, we've got 2,000 Facebook followers. Like, how many of them are actually seeing your posts, though? That's the challenge. We've also found some value in a private Facebook group that we moderate that because you can reach everybody who's a member of the group. Yeah. And ours specifically is geared towards new horse owners and educating like a safe space. But then everything that you say in that group reaches everybody that's in the group. And that way we can gear the content to them specifically. You're also reaching people who want the information that you're giving them. We know it's niche content for new horse owners. Wonderful. And how about yourself, Kelly? What platforms are you seeing that seem to work in the equine world? Yeah, I mean, I think Heather and Karen covered it pretty well. Um, obviously, the first coming to mind, of course, were, were Facebook and, and Instagram. And again, I think they've covered it well. You know, just a couple other things to think about. I think the email, you know, marketing is important and developing that list. And and then again, really looking at your demographics and, and how do they communicate? I think the most important thing for a clinic to remember is you want to reach your clients where they are. And so, you know, sometimes you can target ads if you've got a, a lot of clients, you know, LinkedIn, if, if you're in an area that's high income and business people, and that's a, a large part of your profit center, you know, clientele, maybe that LinkedIn is something that, you know, you really need to look at if you haven't looked at that before. Another thing that that we've employed before is, you know, you can do geofencing sometimes where, you know, maybe if you're near an event venue and, and you do the veterinary work at that venue, or um, you can kind of geofence certain areas or certain geographies and, and serve content to the folks that are um, searching for certain things within that area would, would be another tactic or something that you could try. But again, I think the first step is really, really understanding the demographics of your audience and where they're going to get information. Right. So that leads to the next question. And, and Heather, we'll start with you. And what have you seen that really works well for marketing to an equine audience or for on behalf of an equine practice? We've covered a lot of it, but I think building a marketing strategy that reflects your brand and then designing the tactics that support it. I think it's different for everyone. Understanding your audience, understanding the community, understanding that the problems that they need solved, and then building marketing to support that. Okay. And how about yourself, Karen? What have you seen that really works? Like some examples that you have seen, you're like, well, that was clever. <laughs> yeah. So humor, I think. Is something I, I underutilized in the past. And I think when I owned my practice, I was trying to be very businesslike, which actually interpreted as drive. <laughs> so what I'm doing on my, my Instagram now is I'm really putting my personality out there. Like I'm a very sarcastic person. And I, I've noticed like quite, I have quite a few specific followers who, who appreciate that. And I think that's something I hid before, which probably worked to my detriment in terms of attracting the clients that I really wanted. But the other things that I found that worked was original content. I see that, especially on the small animal side, this, I see this more, is when they have different services where they get the pre-made uh, posts or links or mm -hmm. articles. And 
you can definitely tell just from their, their the likes and engagement on those that clients don't like that as much as original content. Another thing that I, I found is when you have clients that you can tag, and sometimes they have accounts for their actual animals, which I will admit to personally, <laughs> they like being being tagged. Uh, if, you know, obviously you want to ask them, but it it makes everything more personal to them. And then the other thing that I, I started doing, which was hard to follow through on this because you know you get busy and you forget, is when you're on a, a farm farm call, actually ask them to follow your page or ask them to give you a review. And that actually increased our efforts with those specific clients that we remember to do it with. Yeah. So I think uh, you reached upon a good point of the authentic voice. Be yourself. How about yourself, Kelly? What have you seen in the field that you're like, that was good. That that was smart. I wish I thought of that. <laughs> um, again, you know, Heather and Karen have done a great job. One, just a couple of things to mention that, you know, might be something um, folks haven't thought of before is, you know, as, as we mentioned very early in the podcast about, you know, word of mouth being really the best marketing that there is, you know, in this day and age, there's a lot of what we call key opinion influencers. And do you have some clients within your practice that are very visible on social media that could be influencers for other clients in the area to think about using your practice or certain services or certain products? Um, so that might be something to think about. And then um, another thing that really kind of got brought to light, obviously, with the challenges we faced in the last year and not being able to be so face to face, you know, there's a lot of services that clinics offer that, you know, a lot of folks don't understand whether it be a gastroscopy or whether it be a joint injection. And um, so we had some pretty uh, creative veterinarians that actually did some Facebook live demos all on their own, um, showing people what it looks like to, to, you know, without having to bring their horse in and without having to do everything, they could literally be, you know, have a, have a front row seat to an actual gastroscopy and what happens and maybe not make it so scary for them and make it something that they might want to consider doing. Same thing with a joint injection, you know, without actually bringing your horse in and doing those things, a lot of people may not have the opportunity to really see what that looks like and what it entails. Um, so again, that might be something um, unique and interesting that you could do to, to help market the practice and, and your services. That's great. Karen, what do you think you're going to say something? Yeah, I wanted to, to elaborate on what Kelly said. If anyone is wanting to see a really good account that does exactly what Kelly said, Lisa Kibbett, who I know, Mike, you know that, her yeah. practice is Foundation Equine. She's in North Carolina. She's really, really good at especially the video side of things. For sure. Her social media marketing in general is very good. And I think it's, it's a good example that, that other vets can look to to say, how the heck do I do this? And with personality. Yep. Very authentic. So Karen, we'll continue with you, but what have you seen that just doesn't work and you've looked at it online and you're just shaking your head and like, Oh, you shouldn't have done that. <laughs> well, there's a lot of that. I would say, um, I think as vets, we like the gore factor and a lot of clients don't like that because they're, they're just not in the medical field. So I think that's another part of understanding the difference between vets and normal people <laughs> but it's also part of your brand too i mean do you want your brand to be to be very gory like that and some count accounts do very well but i think in general we have to be careful about that but in terms of marketing efforts that i did that i found worked particularly badly is was <laughs> mailers <laughs> so when i first got here i went to kinkos and got got mailers made which are extremely expensive per piece of paper 
And I sent those out to as, as many clients as I could find. If I drove past a place and they had horses, I like wrote down their, their address <laughs> to mail to them. And I found, I don't think a single one of those mailers got me clients. And I would even go to some of those farms and be like, oh, did you get my mail or I sent one to you? And they had no clue what I was talking about. Mm -hmm. So when I'm thinking about marketing now, I want to know return on investment. So the, the mailers, the return on investment for mailers was seemingly zero. <laughs> but what I would transfer to now would be the digital ads. Right. So that's all, sometimes pennies per person that you reach. But, you know, I guess I, that comes back to knowing your audience because I've worked with a practice that had a, I don't want to pigeonhole anybody, but let's say they were a more senior audience and they're getting annoyed that the efforts were too digital. And they're like, I want to see a flyer in my hand. I, uh, You know, I look, you used to send me flyers. Where are they now? So I guess that comes back to knowing your audience. So Kelly, what have you seen in, in your field or in equine practices that you just went, Ew, yeah, yeah, you shouldn't have done that? I mean, I guess one of the things that, you know, again, has been mentioned before, but, you know, to, to just kind of for some of those more senior, maybe more antiquated, maybe one person practices that don't have a lot to help them, but throwing a website up that's not professional and then not constantly monitoring and updating that website, I think is a, that'll kill you right away. Cause if, you know, generally people are going to go to that website first to see what you look like and see what your qualifications are and see who your techs are. And if those things haven't been updated and the website looks like it's been untouched for three or four years, they're probably going to move on. And then I guess the other thing I would just say is kind of like she mentioned with the gore, really understanding the demographics of your customer base and the TikToks you mentioned, for instance, you know, just because somebody in your practice thinks it's funny or, or you think it's funny doesn't necessarily mean that, that the greater demographic of your practice is going to think that's funny. So I think always just thinking about what you're doing that will or, or won't offend the bulk of your clientele anyway. Yeah, great point. And Heather, but, but yourself, what have you looked at? You're like, yeah, no, 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 no. Shouldn't have done that. I don't have anything specific. Some years, some things work. And then the next year we do it and it doesn't work. So some years we'll have in-person client education at the tax shops and hundreds of people will show up. And then obviously not taking COVID into consideration, but then the following year, nobody shows up. And, you know, then one year we have a digital webinar and we have hundreds of people and the year before nobody showed up. It's knowing your audience, but I think it's also watching trends and watching what people are doing. And, you know, we're four seasons where we live. So I can get somebody on a webinar on January 13th at seven o'clock at night, but I'm not getting them in June. It's not what works and what doesn't work necessarily, but it's more about just paying attention to things like that and being willing to adapt. We don't ever do anything that doesn't reflect our brand and our values. And so for me, I'm the gateway to all of our social media. I'm the only person who, outside of Mike, that has the ability to post on it. But I never post anything where I'm like, have I looked at this from every perspective and does it align with our values. And if it does, I move forward. And if it doesn't, it goes in the garbage. And I think what you bring out is a good point is, and I think we've all sort of hinted on it, that it's good to experiment because, you know, you may look at something and go, oh, no way. And, and 
and then it's really successful. And I know every once in a while I'll send a link to Heather to post and she's like, nobody's going to care about this. And then, well, actually some people do. So that leads me to my last question. And Karen, you, you were really talking about this. I'll start with you. How do you tell if your marketing efforts are working? You're spending a lot of time. You could be spending, well, obviously money. You're maybe buying ads. You're putting effort into things. So how does somebody come and say, yep, it's worth it? So marketing is notoriously difficult to, to know what, what is your return on investment. And what happens a lot of times is you have younger people or employees who want to do it and they have a hard time convincing the, their boss to let them spend money on this or even to spend time, which is also money. So I actually, I just did an Instagram reel, which is, are also hot right now, <laughs> even though I'm having a hard time figuring them out, but I just did a reel on this topic. And once again, it's, it's about what stage in, in the customer journey is your customer at, or what stage in your marketing strategy are you at? And there's certain metrics that you connect to each of those. So first of all, you need to decide what is our goal? Is our goal developing awareness? Is our goal to actually get people engaged? Is our goal um, to retain those clients? And then you can take specific numbers and decide how that's working. So for instance, right now, I'm trying to um, create some products and sell them. So for instance, my click-through rate and my conversion rate might be important. But if you're just trying to gain awareness, the follower count is what matters, one of the things that matters. So you need to de develop your goal first, figure out what metrics connect to those goals, and then monitor them over time. Excellent. How about yourself, Heather? That was a really great explanation. For us specifically, we used to track our online vanity metrics. We used to you know, really look hard at our Google Analytics and how many visits to the website and Facebook likes do we have. And while we do still pay attention to those, now we put a more effort into actually tracking the results. So we track where our new clients come from when they call in to book an appointment. Our customer service reps ask them where it comes from and we track that. We track calls to the clinic. Say we do a podcast episode about embryo transfers and then we get calls to the clinic about it. We, we track actual results. You know, it's nice to have 10,000 Facebook followers and we're proud of that number, but I would much rather talk to, you know, 500 dedicated horse owners that live in our practice area than potentially 10,000 people that don't even live in our country, which is fine, but they're not necessarily going to convert to clients. So we've done that. And then most recently, we've done some market research. We've reached out to actual clients, designed research to try and get information that we can build our marketing from and to make changes to the practice that the clients value. Wonderful. And last word is yours, Kelly. So how do you tell if your marketing efforts are working? Yeah, I mean, I think the the ladies have have summarized it, obviously, on a larger scale within industry. But, you know, whenever you put together a marketing campaign, you know, after you've done the research and decided who you want to target and where you want to meet them and what message you want to serve them, it's all about those what we call KPIs or key performance indicators, essentially your goals, you know, what's your goal for um, each of these campaigns or essentially each of these tactics and then, um, you know, knowing what those metrics are and tracking those metrics. And, you know, I think Heather and Karen both summarized perfectly, you know, what things that we're, we're looking at and, you know, follow up uh, market research to really see if we've increased our market share or um, where we're winning and where we're losing and 
what messaging is is resonating with people and and what isn't. So, um, so I think again, goals and then setting those goals, setting those KPIs, and then really following up on the metrics to that to again make sure that you're doing the activities that give you the best return on investment. So again, I think they they covered it really well. So. Well, thank you all for uh, taking the time. This is uh, I've learned some stuff. I've taken some notes, and uh, and I think anybody listening to this will pick up some great ideas of what to do, what not to do, who should do it, and how to do it. So, thank you all. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you. For more resources to help you in daily practice, please visit the AAP's website at aaep.org. Beringer Ingelheim's equine health solutions don't just come in the form of medicine. From our vaccine and EGUS assurance programs to our equine practice enrichment program, we offer a wide range of services dedicated to helping individual veterinarians and entire practices succeed in their business environment. To learn more about all the services we offer, contact one of our expert team members by visiting bi-vetmedica.com slash company slash contact.